Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are in a message series called Bah Humbug, and if you missed last weekend's message, we talked about anger, and my wife Tori taught a message called Too Hot to Handle. Can we give it up for Tori really quick? She did an incredible job teaching God's Word to us last week, and she talked about anger, and uh, we've heard stories of people just kind of experiencing life change through getting rid of that anger and really allowing God to do something incredible. Today, uh, I want to talk to you, the title of today's message is The Result is negative. And typically when we hear something like that these days, uh, it's due to a COVID test, right? And your result is negative. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you got a little anxious for a second, it's all good. Uh, I want to talk to you about your thought life. Because I think for many of us, we have a negative thought life. We're trying to control our thoughts and we try really hard and maybe we're doing good in one season, but As much as we try and control the thoughts we have, we just kind of seem to come up short over and over and over again. And I think our thought life is probably like uh, my ability to dunk in basketball. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he's in impeccable shape and being 6'2", he ought to be able to dunk the basketball. But I'm going to be honest with you, it ain't happening, right? I'm trying and I can start from the three-point line and I can run and I can jump and I might get really close but I come up a little short. Now I go to half court and I take a running start and then I stop at the three-point line because you got to breathe, you know what I'm saying? I go to jump and I just keep coming up short. And, And sometimes it feels that way with controlling our thought life. We feel like we have a good grasp on it, but we just seem to over and over and over again keep coming up short. And if you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you hope. If you're in here and you feel like, man, I don't have a good control over my thought life, the good news is that we're going to find hope in God's word today and you and I can experience some life change. As we look at the text that we're going to kind of walk through this morning, uh, really we have to have a foundational understanding of where our thoughts come from. Because what most of us think is that our thoughts just come from the things happening around us. It may be an image that pops up on one of your devices, and then there's thoughts that happen after that. And so the thought is, well, if I just get rid of the device, then I won't have those thoughts. Or that person cuts you off in traffic, and you're thinking that if they didn't cut me off in traffic, then I wouldn't have these thoughts. Or maybe your boss doesn't give you that raise. And so you're thinking, well, if your boss just disappeared, you'd never have these thoughts, right? If that's the way we think about our thought life, we will never actually get the healing we need. Because Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, and he's having the talk about where thoughts and sin come from. And this is what he says. He went on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. We think that it's the stuff that's happening to us, but Jesus is saying the real issue is actually what's going on inside of you. It's a matter of the heart. 
Your heart is the actual problem. And so what happens is the enemy convinces us that if we just fix the external things, then everything's going to be fine. But you will never get control of your thought life by fixing what's going on around you. You have to deal with the issues going on within you. So Jesus says that out of a person's heart, evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from, come on, say it with me, inside and defile a person. And so if you're taking notes this morning, which I would encourage you to do, the first thing that I want you to write down is this that the thoughts in our mind are a reflection of what's in our heart. Now, that's not going to be one of those incredibly comforting statements because the reality is we would love to think that the thoughts that are happening to us or the thoughts we have in our mind are just a byproduct of what we're around. But Jesus says that it's actually a reflection of what's going on on the inside of you. And what many of us do is we blame other people or we blame other situations or circumstances for the way we think and the way we respond. But if you really want to experience healing in your life, you're going to have to come to grips with the fact that the thoughts in your mind are actually a reflection of what's in your heart. And so I like to say it this way, that your thoughts are not a window, they're a mirror. A window gives you the ability to look at what's going on on the outside, but a mirror just shows you what's there the entire time. It gives you a reflection of who you really are. And that's not fun, right? Because many of us would say when that person cuts us off in traffic and we yell, you're an idiot, we go, I don't know where that came from. Jesus says it's actually in your heart. And so what we try and do is we try and fix the external behaviors. So the next time somebody cuts me off, I'm not going to yell at them. But that doesn't fix it. You still have issues in your heart. And so what we need to do today is deal with those issues of the heart. And as we do that, we can experience freedom that we find in Jesus. Your thoughts are not a window. They're a mirror. And so what the enemy does is he has you fighting the battle with your mind without missing the actual issue. A few uh, weeks ago, uh, I went up to the mountains and I was doing some fly fishing there. And uh, I was trying to move from, I was coming down this waterfall. I was going from one rock to the other and I stepped. And when I did, uh, the rock was covered in leaves and I didn't think anything was wrong. I thought, you know what? I got this. Well, leaves are a little bit slippery and uh, I ended up slipping and falling. And when I did, I hurt my knee. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to get over it. I just kind of kept walking and over and over went through it. And I ended up like my left ankle started hurting because I was overcompensating. So I go to the doctor for my left ankle and I'm like, doctor, my ankle is killing me. And he said, we're not going to fix your ankle. I said, you don't understand. I had a copay and I done paid you to fix my ankle. And here's what he said. He said, we need to fix your knee because your ankle is just a secondary issue. If we don't fix your knee, then your ankle will never get better. But if we just fix your ankle, then your knee will never get better. I wonder how many of us end up with those secondary issues that we're just trying to treat, but really we need to get to the source 
of what that problem is. And Jesus would say, it's our heart. So I'm gonna give you three things today, super practical. Here's the first one. We must guard our heart. We must guard our heart. When we read through scripture, we find this passage in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, which says this, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Why is it important to guard our heart? Because our actions, our reactions, our thoughts, our words, every single thing we do flows from our heart. And so when we want to get healthy and whole, we need to guard the thing that everything else flows from. It's the source of life that you and I have. So when we look at our lives, we need to guard our hearts. And when we think about guarding, typically we think of just defense. But guarding is a offensive and defensive posture. Defensively, you need to guard your heart. And some of the things you need to guard your heart from are things like bitterness. Christian, follower of Jesus, bitterness will destroy the plans that God has for your life. Because when you get bitter, you will never get better. When you get bitter, it robs you of joy, it robs you of intimacy, it robs you of connectivity with God because you are choosing to hold on to the pain of your past and you're allowing it to dictate how you live and operate in the future. You've met some of those people. You've met people in your life that have experienced bitterness and pain and because of that, they're not healthy, they're toxic. Bitterness causes that. Christian, you also need to guard your heart from unforgiveness. The temptation is that when people hurt us, is to build walls and to keep people out and all of those things. And what happens is when we choose to hold on to the pain that someone else has caused us, we end up preventing people from hurting us, but we also prevent ourselves from being healed. You'll never have the ability to walk in all that God has for you when you're holding on to unforgiveness. I love what one author says is that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. See, we feel like it's really hurting them, but all the while it's crushing and killing us. It's causing us pain and we have to guard ourselves from it because the temptation in unforgiveness is to think, well, I don't need to forgive them because they don't deserve forgiveness. But when we look at scripture, when we look at the way God forgives us, he doesn't forgive us because we deserve it. He forgives us because he loves us. And scripture is clear that we are forgiven according to the measure in which we forgive others. We have to guard our heart from unforgiveness. Another thing that we have to guard our heart from is gossip. Now, this is not something that people love to talk about in church, so I'm going to do it. Because gossip is one of those things that's culturally completely acceptable. It's acceptable to talk about your coworkers when they're not in the room. It's acceptable to talk about your boss when he's not in the room or talk about those people you saw. And, and here's the thing. When it comes to following Jesus, there are things that the world deems okay that Jesus doesn't. 
And that's what it looks like. It looks like guarding your heart from gossip. So defensively, guarding your heart from gossip looks like not engaging. It looks like leaving the conversation. It looks like not being involved. But can I tell you, you can guard your heart offensively when it comes to gossip too. One of the things that I love to do with people, they'll come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I got a problem with so-and-so. And I'll say, perfect, walk with me really quick. And I'll walk with them to the person they have an issue with and I'll say, hey, this person has an issue with you and they need to talk to you about it. And then I leave the conversation. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm not letting your junk get in my life. I'm not letting that toxic stuff get in. I'm guarding my heart offensively and defensively because gossip will kill off what God wants to do in you and through you. Because let me tell you, it's really hard to have influence over people you keep bad-mouthing. You're praying. If you want to know how to experience freedom, you start praying for the people you talk junk about. And I'm telling you, God will begin to morph and change your heart from the inside out. You got to kill off those toxic things. Guard your heart. For some of you, defensively guarding your heart looks like assessing the people you spend time with, the music you listen to, or the things you watch on TV. For some of you, guarding your heart offensively looks like getting rid of your social media account. And I know what you're thinking. I could never do that. Well, if there's, a, if there's something in your life that you feel like you can't live without, and it's anything other than Jesus, you have what we call an addiction. God didn't design you to live in bondage. If you can't live without the dopamine hit that comes from your phone and being on social media, here's what you need to do. You need to kill it because it's causing toxicity in your heart and everything you do flows from it. Now, the good news is you have the opportunity to do that coming up because we're going to hit 21 days of prayer and fasting in January and People go all the time. They say, Pastor, why in the world do we do this? It's, it's because there's probably some things in your life that you need to get rid of because they're standing in the way of you spending time with God. And if you'll choose to get rid of them for a season, you'll experience freedom for a lifetime. Fasting is incredibly powerful, but we need to guard our heart. Offensively, guarding our heart looks like getting rid of some of those things that you were watching on TV that you've identified as triggers. Men, I'll tell you, one of the most common ways that you get lured into pornography is that you don't assess what you're watching on TV. So you just allow anything with nudity. And, and I'm, I'll be honest, some of you are going to need to cancel your Netflix subscription. Because it's like every TV show they come out with now contains nudity. But it's not benefiting you at all. And Paul says it like this, just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. I don't have the ability to tell you what to get rid of, but here's what you should assess. Is this helping me grow in my relationship with God or is it pulling me further from him? Because I need to guard my heart because everything I do flows from it. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, to not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Many of us want to know what God's plan is for our life, what he wants to do in us, and 
the, re, the way we figure that out is that we allow God to renew our mind. So we talked about guarding our heart. Here's the second thing. Allow God to renew your mind. Allow God to renew your mind. If we look at the context of that verse, it's really important because right before Romans chapter 12, verse 2, comes Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I would encourage you as you read through Scripture to not just pull out a single verse and like use that as your life verse. You really need to look at the context of when the verse was written, why it was written, what comes before it and after it, or you may miss out on the meaning. Because if we read the original, if we read Romans chapter 12, verse 2, what we'll think is that the way we experience a renewed mind is just by not doing the things that the world does. Well, if we don't do what the world does, then our mind will become renewed. But that's actually not what this passage of Scripture is all about. So Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, gives us the insight on how to experience a renewed mind. And it doesn't come from just not doing what the world does. It comes from this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So the reason why we're about to make this decision is not because we feel like if we don't, God will be mad at us. We're not making this decision because of legalism or feeling like we have to follow the rules. Because we understand that Jesus Christ came and died for us while we were still sinning, while we had faults, flaws, and failures, that God knew our past and decided to come die for us. In view of that mercy, the decision we make is to to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, is to present ourselves to God and say, God, you have access to every part of me. From this point forward with my life, I'm going to choose to live for you. In my workplace, I'm, an, I'm a living sacrifice. In my home, I'm a living sacrifice. On my way to Walmart a few days before Christmas, I'm a living sacrifice. Come on. And this is what it says to present your bodies that way because it's holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship, which means that true and proper worship is not just coming into church on a Sunday morning, lifting your hands and singing a few songs. That's great, but if you wanna know why Christianity has lost credibility, it's because people come into church on Sunday and praise Jesus and they live like hell through the rest of the week. They do whatever they want. Paul says, if you really want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, it is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is not something we do just once. It's something we have to wake up and do daily. It's something that when we wake up and our feet hit the floor in the morning, we say, God, today I choose to live my life to glorify and honor you. In every area, you do whatever you want because I'm presenting myself as a sacrifice. And then we get into the verse of verse two, to not conform to the patterns and the ways of the world. The way we experience mind renewal and transformation is that we choose to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And when we present our bodies that way, when we present our lives that way, that's when we don't conform to the patterns and the ways of the world. Because if you're just trying to not conform to the world, you will miss out on everything God has for you. It's not just we don't do something, it's that we choose to do something intentionally. Mark Batterson wrote a book years ago 
called uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And it's a great book. If you, you may not ever remember that title, but just look up Mark Batterson. It's a great book. But in it, he talks about mind renewal, and he shares this study that these two doctors did who were a part of the Mental Health Institute. And they conducted a study on people, and they did a simple exercise of finger tapping. And as they would tap their finger, what they would do is they did a, a neurological brain scan, an MRI of the brain, to see what activity was going on. And so these people did this finger tapping exercise for four weeks in a row, and they did a study on week one MRI, and then they did an MRI again on week four. And at the end of those four weeks, what they noticed is that the activity in the brain on week one to week four had actually increased dramatically. When these people were simply doing a simple task like finger tapping, their brain began to create new neurological pathways and it began to grow and develop to become something more. And Mark goes on to teach that what happens is when you and I choose to spend daily time with God, it is the rewiring of our brain. It's just like doing that simple exercise and what we don't know or what we don't see right now is that the simple tasks of spending time with God daily, opening up scripture, praying, fasting, being involved in biblical community, those things are rewiring our brain and they're renewing our minds. And as you and I experience that mind renewal, we'll begin to think like God thinks and we'll begin to do what God does. That's what transformation looks like. And here's the last thing I have for you, is to think God-honoring thoughts. Think God-honoring thoughts. As you and I go through this process, I'll tell you, this is one of those things that um, seems a lot easier in words than in practice. You ever been there before where you're listening to a pastor teach and you're like, man, that sounds great, but that's kind of hard. And Paul doesn't help you at all. Look at Philippians chapter four. This is how he starts off this text. He says, don't worry about anything. You're like, yeah, buddy, good luck. You know, like worrying is a part of our life. It's hard. It's complicated sometimes. But then he gives you this word instead. Because again, following Jesus is not about what we don't do. It's about what we choose to do. So instead of worrying about stuff, we pray about everything. We tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. When we're looking for peace in the holiday season, we've been in this Bah Humbug series and in week one we talked about how we're going to kill off Scrooge and we need to assess our heart. Some of us have had hard hearts and we need to experience peace with God. Then last week, Tori taught on how you and I don't have to live with anger. When we look at those things, the goal is that we experience peace. And the only way we get to peace is that we pray about everything. We tell God what we need. We get honest with him. And then we thank him for what he's done. Thanking God for what he's done is just eager expectation that if he did it in the past, he can do it in the present. It's just believing that God then can do more now. And I love that this peace that we'll experience has this word then because it shows us that if we do this stuff, it really works.
if we pray, tell, and thank, then we'll experience peace. And that's what you and I are looking for. But for some of us, we won't do the work necessary. And some of you have experienced that peace which surpasses all understanding because you've gone through hardships and struggles and tough times and yet have experienced something so incredible where you don't understand why, but you just know God has you. And then it says this, that his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and admirable. And when Paul writes this thought to fix your thoughts, it gives you and I a picture of a target and like a bow and arrow. It's this idea that you and I need to be aiming at something consistently. Because if you and I don't have our thoughts fixed, if we don't have a target that we're going for or something we're aiming at, when things happen in the world, you are going to shoot your thoughts at whatever comes at you first. Tori talked last week about predetermined responses. This predetermined response, this fixing our thoughts, is a filter for what our thought life should look like. If you and I claim to be followers of Jesus, the thoughts we have should be true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Those are the kinds of things we should be thinking about, things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And as we think about those things, it gives us a target. It gives us something to fix our minds on. And in the event that thoughts come into our life that aren't true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, then they don't get to have our attention. They're things that we sit aside. They're things that we get rid of. That's part of protecting who God created us to be. It's part of protecting our heart and guarding it. And so he goes on to say, think about those things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And then I love this last verse. He says, keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you've heard from me and you have saw me doing. And then the God of peace will be with you. When we're thinking about our thought life, it's easy to get frustrated because we've tried to have control over this thing. We've been trying over and over and over again. And for some of us, we've, we've been doing really well. We were thinking about things that were pure and honorable and lovely and noble and, and it was going great and then something happened. You went to Walmart a few days before Christmas because you weren't done with shopping, right? You went to that Christmas party and Somebody had you for Secret Santa and they gave you some handcrafted soap. You didn't want no handcrafted soap. So you start thinking about things that are not honorable. I'm just trying to help you. You don't stop giving people handcrafted goat milk soap. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wants that. They don't. They don't. But all of a sudden you feel like you're backtracking. You feel like you're going in this direction, you're going on this path, and things were going great, your thought life was wonderful, but then all of a sudden, 
you get that news from the doctor, you end up seeing that person that you were holding something against. And when Paul says keep putting it into practice, I think he's trying to encourage the church of Philippi to say, hey, you're not going to get this perfect. But progress is better than perfection. Like you just keep putting it into practice. So when you fail or when you fall or when you make mistakes or you have thoughts that are great and you're doing great with your thought life, you've got great control over them, but then something happens, Paul would say, don't just throw it all away, just keep putting it into practice. Just keep moving forward. Because the more you do it, the more reps you get in, the more you're gonna become like Christ. And you might not be where you wanna be, but praise God you're not where you used to be. You're growing. It's becoming something that you're doing consistently. So keep moving forward. As you and I look at our hearts and look at our thought life, we're gonna guard our heart. We're gonna allow God to renew our mind. And we're gonna think God-honoring thoughts. As we do those things, you and I are gonna get rid of all this negativity that comes with Christmas and negative thoughts and negative feelings. And we're gonna actually begin to experience peace because we've allowed God to transform our heart from the inside out. But none of this, thinking pure and noble and honorable thoughts, none of that is possible without Jesus. Because according to what scripture teaches us, we are slaves to sin apart from Christ. So we can try as hard as we want to, but it's like my dunking ability just going to keep coming up short. But in the event that you choose to surrender your life to Jesus, what scripture teaches us is that we're no longer obligated to do what our sinful desire teaches us or tells us to do. You don't have to do those things anymore. You're no longer living in bondage and in captivity. You have surrendered your life to the one who is able to overcome all. So for some of you today, the starting place is not think different thoughts. It's to present your body as a living sacrifice to God for the first time, to surrender everything to him. You may have surrendered 50% to him, but God does not change things at a 50% level. He's an all-in 100% God. Martin Luther would say that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So maybe today is the day for you where you'd say, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to surrender everything. With every head bowed, every eye closed around the room for a moment. If that's you today and you say, hey, pastor, I realize like I, maybe I've surrendered a part of me, but I haven't surrendered all of me to Jesus. And today I want to make that decision. If that's you, would you just lift your hand for a moment and say, that's me. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody's going to pray alone. We all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. 
If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.